All right, question came up about the rules on the trading account. So explain to me again why this whole 50% rule, why can't, you know, why do you have the same dollar trade size? Why do I have to be so regimented about that? What's the, what's the idea? The answer is simple. Think of it this way. Real simple thing. How many of you have done something stupid in your life? Right? And you only got one hand. Right? The answer is you've done something stupid. Now watch this. Before you did that stupid thing, whatever it was that you thought of, before you did it, did you think it was a good idea? Of course. Otherwise, you wouldn't have done it. So you thought it was a good idea before you did this thing that turned out to be a really stupid move. So what that tells me and should tell you is you can't tell me when you do something if it's going to work or not. You don't know if it's going to end up being a stupid move or a brilliant move. So because of that reason, you don't know if it's going to be correct or not. You have to go in with a consistent trade size because you don't know if it's going to work or not. Even though you think it will, and you've done this a bunch of times before, if you thought that last thing you did that was stupid was going to work, you still don't know. So the way you get around that to remove you from the equation of greed is to do the same dollar trade size every single time. That removes you from messing it up. You don't want to get in there horking it up. Does that make sense? The objective is to be the best you can be in the trading account, in the income account, and in the long-term holding account. Be the best that you can be. What's going to happen with this stuff? I'm going to show you in two weeks what a setup looks like, what a good trade looks like. Your objective then two weeks from now is to just look for those and only those and to prove to yourself that that setup works again and again and again and again and again. You practice looking for those and then practice the results and see what happens. You say, okay, well, if you tell me that the setup is supposed to look like, you know, these three or four or five or ten criteria, what if I find something that meets 60, 70, 80 percent of those criteria? What do I do? You practice to see how close to the perfection criteria you need to have. Analogy on this. Think of uh, Buffett calls it a fat pitch. What he has been quoted in saying, if you read his stuff, he'll sit with a mountain of cash waiting for the opportunity to buy. And he waits for that pitch to come across the plate. He'll stand there with a bat on his shoulder for months and years until his fat pitch comes right across the plate and then he swings. That's all he's doing. If the pitch isn't there, he doesn't swing. As simple as that. The analogy off this to drive the point home, the best hitter in the history of baseball, professional baseball, a guy named Ted Williams, played back in the 40s. Williams was a lefty, and I don't play, so I'm going to mock it as if he was a righty. So imagine I'm Williams in a mirror. What Williams did, it's rumored one year. He wrote about this in his book, The Art of Hitting, page 38, if you care to read it. You don't need to read it. I'll tell you what it says. What he did, he hired some guy to sit out in the outfield all season and track the pitches that were thrown to him. And in the, on page 38 of his book, he's got an 8 by 9 diagram, if you will, of baseballs. He's got it all mapped out, and it maps out with the strike zone. So basically from shoulders to knees. And it shows him sitting like this. And the guy out, and this was before modern times where you could really be precise about this, but the guy in the outfield, his job was to track where all the pitches came in, somewhere in that grid of 72. And so what he talks about in there is they realized that Williams did best. I don't remember where his, where his sweet spot was, but as you swing, my natural one is probably midpoint or mid, what do you call it, waist high outside. Some of you swing like this, inside. Some of you swing low. Some of you swing way out there. Some swing way up here. Some swing here. That's fine. doesn't matter. Wherever your sweet spot is, that's fine. But you got to get hundreds and thousands of pitches coming at you to figure out where you naturally swing and you're, where you're most likely to swing. So that's what Williams did over the course of a season. The guy tracked it and then went back and said, you know, if you'll wait for the pitches to be waist high and outside, your batting average goes through the roof. And so Williams then just learned to wait for those pitches. The difference is in baseball, if it was anywhere else in the strike zone, he could get called out on strikes. So he had to learn to foul off balls. So he let, from what I understand, he had more foul balls than anybody else in history, waiting for that pitch that was there. He's the best hitter in history. What you're going to do is learn what your fat pitch is. I'm going to show it to you, but you're going to practice tons of it to see that. And then you're just going to swing only when you see that fat pitch. All you're doing. Now, what happens with that? If you can, just to kind of see how this works, if you're bored on a Saturday, 
Go find a local, find where there's going to be a small, a local little league team playing and find the kids that are just starting to pitch to themselves. I don't know what level or weight age group that is, but just where they're starting to pitch. And what will happen is the first kid will walk up and he'll be standing like this and the batter will throw it in. He'll get a couple across the plate and the one will sail 12 feet over his head. What does the young kid do? He'll swing at it, right? Even though he has no chance of hitting at it. And what has happened before that is, you know, the parents put him out and they, they bought him all the gear, you know, the helmet, the cup, the shin guards, whatever they need to do all this stuff. And he's standing up there just panicking, like, all right. And the coach is hollering, all right, Billy, remember, shoulders to knees, shoulders to knees, shoulders to knees. Anywhere outside that, do not swing, shoulders to knees and swing. Billy's up there panicked, right? He's scared to death. And the first pitch goes sailing. What does he do? He swings at it, right? Because he doesn't know what he's doing. What are you guys going to do with the first trade that comes in? You're going to swing at it too. <laughs> you're going to swing at all kinds of nasty, stupid stuff because you don't know what you're looking for. And then you'll calm down. That's all you're trying to do. That's why you practice a bunch. But you've got to learn where that sweet spot is. So you've got to swing at all kinds of crap as you go through that. Just part of the learning process. Eventually, you'll temper it down to say, I'm only waiting for something that is right here. And if I don't see that, I ain't swinging. And if it means I don't see anything for a whole month, I got to stand for a whole month like this not take a swing. Really simple in concept. Very tough to execute. Because while you, after you've been standing there for 28 days, you'll swing at anything just because you're bored. <laughs> right? On the hope that you'll hit it. That's what you go through with this stuff. It's a waiting game. It's a patience development. You've got to take the time to go through that. It takes a long time to do it. All right, next piece, channeling stocks. There's a TV ad on CNBC that you'll see occasionally. It shows some guy sitting in a cubicle, and it shows you know, the moving camera zipping around. And he said, so what are you doing? Oh, I'm quitting my job today. How are you doing that? Well, I, I bought this service called channelingstocks.com. And when the stock's low, I buy. And when it's high, I sell. And I just do it over and over and over and over and over again. And now I'm leaving my job. Channelingstocks.com. Don't buy it. <laughs> Don't do it. What you're looking for, but just understand it's a very common process, common technique to use. Do not buy their service. What happens is a stock will trade in a range between a floor, a bottom, and a ceiling, somewhere up at the top. It just kind of bounces back and through there. And it's not precise. It's not between 50 and 60. It might be 48, you know, 48-ish to 62-ish. And sometimes it gets to 60 and sometimes 64. But it's somewhere up in that range. What you're going to do is don't buy it on the floor. You cannot buy it on the floor. You've got to wait till it rises. You buy it at about table height. When it's at table height, now you buy. And you're going to watch it run up. And you don't run it to the ceiling. You run it to the soffit, the little cutout spot, or whatever that lower thing is, whatever it's called. So if the stock, let's say it runs from 50 to 60, you might get in at 52 and out at, I don't know, 57. So you just get a chunk in the middle. You say, yeah, but it's going to run to 60. I know. Get out of 57. Yeah, 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 but I want to make that extra three bucks. No, you don't. Get out of 57. But, 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 but. Say, but, 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 but. Get out of 57. Why? Because what will happen is you'll train yourself to stick in for the last dollar. And you're going to pull nickels in front of a steamroller. Pulling dimes off the railroad track and you're going to get clobbered by a freight train. Don't worry about it. Just take a chunk in the middle. Do it again and again and again. And then you'll also have the mindset that says, well, if the stock's down at 50 and I know it's going to rise, why do I have to wait to 52 to buy it? Why not buy like 50-50 or 51 and make an extra dollar? Because you don't know that it's rising till it clears the table. You haven't proven that yet. Don't worry about getting every last dollar on this. How many of you, by the way, ate all your lunch that you put on the plate? Most of you didn't. You threw some away. So you're willing to leave some on the table. You know, pay for it. I guess that's why you're also willing to do it. But, but the point is when you go out to lunch or dinner, you don't eat every speck off the plate. You throw some away. You don't worry about it. Do the same thing in the stock market. Don't worry about it. Catch what you can. Catch a chunk in the middle. You're never going to get in at the bottom. You're never, rarely going to get out at the top. Take the chunk in the middle. Do it again and again and again. So with channeling stocks, the floor and the ceiling could be a price area. It could be a moving average, something on the chart. We'll cover that in a couple of weeks. It could be any number of things. The method to find this, you look at your charts, you're looking for a consistent area of support and or resistance. 
identify both of them, and then you need to take a, a study, take an educated estimate on how long it takes to move between that low and that high point. So now you know whether you're in this thing for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, or even longer. And then you have to have a technical reason to trade. There's something on the charts that I'm looking for to trade. The next page is channeling example. Here's an example of one, not the best drawing, but it gives you a simple example. This is a stock chart, if you've never seen one of these before. On the right side, so that's the price area. So the stock ran from 41 down to 45. The stock on this one is Triple D, it's a 3D printing company. Across the bottom there, dates. Each one of these vertical lines is called a candle. We'll cover that in class two. What that is, is it shows each one of these represents a day's worth of data. So if I take this big white candle there, one, two, about the fourth candle in from the left, you see it had a low there of about, I don't know, 45 and a half, 45, 75, something like that. Get as high as about 47 and a half, maybe 48. So that was the range of the trading day that day. Where do those numbers come from? Remember when we looked at Las Vegas Sands on those other stocks, we showed the open high-low close? That open high-low close is charted in that candle. So the high price, the very tip of it is the high price for the day. The low is the low price for the day. And then the candle body is signified by the open and the close. So what I'm looking for is when the stock is at a low as it's rising, I'm going to get in when it clears that purple line. That purple line is something that I drew. When it clears the purple line, I buy. Or I look to buy. Looking for a reason to buy. And then when it gets up to that top purple line, I'm going to sell. So I'm buying at about 46, a little bit above 46, and I'm selling when it gets a little bit above 49. Make sense? Very simple. Very simple technique. I suck at this technique. I can teach it. I can see it after the fact. I suck at doing it. And it's so darn simple. It's embarrassing that I suck at it. Remember what I said, you're going to suck at a lot of, you're going to suck at this when you start off. Try it, practice it, and if you suck at it, move on. If you're good at it, just do it. Very simple. You can make great money doing this. I should be able to do this in my sleep. I'm horrible at it. This is the one I do the absolute worst, and it's the easiest one to do. So just understand, there's a whole bunch of stuff I'm going to show you. I don't expect you to be an expert at all of it. You'll get good at one or two. Others you can do, and if you had to do it, I'd starve. I, mean, I wouldn't starve. I wouldn't live that well, but I'd do okay. But just find something you do really well and focus on it. So what if I go to a backyard barbecue and somebody talks to me about doing some kind of funky engineer-sounding stuff that I don't understand? Real simple. Ask them what they do for a living. And if they say they do some funky engineering stuff that you don't understand, then they must not know what they're doing. Because if they're good at this, they'll do it in the market. So don't get too caught up in all that mumbo-jumbo stuff. I think it's still on Fridays. If you ever watch Fast Money, they do a, uh, an options portion. I don't know if they do it more frequently now or not. But these guys talk about all kinds of funky, cool-sounding option strategies. I can follow it, but way too confusing. I like to keep it simple. I'm just a, I wear shorts and a t-shirt. I'm a simple guy. Right? Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. You got a question? question is, is there a difference between the white and the red candle? Yes. Um, I'll cover it more in class two. The white one is a bullish candle. The red one is a bearish candle. All it says is the white one, the opening price was lower than the closing. And they say it, was, it rose on the day. The red one says it fell on the day. We'll cover this in a ton of detail in two weeks. Yes, ma'am. Why do I suck at this one? I wish I knew that answer. I think the reason I suck at it is that these things don't jump off the page at me. There's other things when I look at, they jump off the page. Analogously, you look at something and say, what's attractive to you? Is it, if I use a male, is it a tall male, a short male, a big male, I mean, fat, whatever it is, something is attractive to you. And those jump off the page at you. Otherwise, you look and go, that's attractive, but that thing really jumps off the page at me. It's a horrible way to say this, but I use this to kind of drive the point home. You and I, you, I won't have you do this, we'll embarrass people. You and I could stand up here and we just kind of look at the room and whisper and go, attractive, yes or no? Yes or no, yes or no, yes or no, yes or no? We go through the whole room and aside from them throwing rocks at us and telling you, no, you're wrong. And you can look at somebody quick and say, attractive, yes or no? And it doesn't mean that it was something that you'd be interested in, person you're interested in. But you just tell them they have features that make them attractive. 
This stuff I can tell if it's attractive, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't jump out at me. There's other things I can show you that I can spot those a mile away. They just jump out, and I've done enough of them that I'm very, very comfortable with these. I just don't trade these enough. It's probably because I sucked at them for a while. I didn't practice it as much. And now because I haven't gone back to practice it, there's really no need to because I do well in other stuff. We good? So the channeling methodology is something you would use in your trading account. Just a simple strategy to use there. You don't have to. You can. Not a requirement, but easy to do. Next piece is your income account. The rules on this. You only buy a quality stock. Now the next comment, I'm going to get some people throwing stuff at me in the front of the room. It says, do not buy a pharma or biotech. That doesn't mean that they're not quality. I wouldn't do this strategy personally with a pharma or a biotech because they have a tendency to have FDA announcements that clobber the stock. I don't want my income account getting clobbered on a 30% haircut overnight. I don't like trading those in this account because they're prone to large price gaps. When I say a quality stock, what do I mean by a quality stock? Don't do penny stocks. There's a reason stuff is that cheap. Poop sells for that cheap. Penny stocks are poop. Don't touch them. Sweep it away. Okay? What you're doing is you're buying the stock with the purpose of selling it. You're not buying it to own it forever. It's not a marriage. It's a date. You buy it with the purpose of selling it. If you don't want to sell it, don't do this technique on that stock. You want to own it forever, don't do this technique. Don't buy it in this account. I'm looking for stocks that have been on a decline on the weekly or daily chart. I'm going to talk about stuff they haven't explained yet because you're going to go back and reference this a lot over the next months and years. As the stock first begins to recover, I'm going to miss the first part of that rise. Then I want to get in. It's kind of the same concept. It hits the floor, hits the edge of the table, and then rises from there. I'm not getting in at the bottom. You'll never get in at the absolute bottom. The only way you know where the bottom is is three weeks later when you go back and look and go, oh, there was the bottom. You don't know. You don't know when it's there. So I'm waiting for it to rise. I jump in, and now I let it rise for a little bit, and I capture a chunk of the middle of the move. I'm looking on a weekly chart. I want to see the weekly chart where it's neutral to rising. What does that mean? I'll explain it in a couple weeks. You'll see it. And what I want to see on that is the weekly has been neutral to rising. It's no longer going down. And the daily or the 233 chart, what is that? We'll cover it. Daily or 233 chart is giving me a buy signal, a technical reason to buy. I buy the stock in multiples of 100 shares. So if I have enough money to buy 120 shares of stock, I buy 100 shares of stock. Once I buy the stock, I sit on my hands, literally. Stick them in your pocket and sit on them. Don't stare at the keyboard. Go do something else. Walk away. Sit on your hands. If you stare at it, you'll get out too quick. You should have handprints on your butt. Your handprints on your butt. <laughs> Sit on your hands. Wait for the stock to rise. Then you sell the stock. Very simple. Patience. Buy the stock. Sit on your hands. Wait for it to rise. Sell it. 3 to 5% per trade. Now, does that mean that once the stock rises somewhere between 3 and 5%, I sell? No, it doesn't say that. Because if you do that, now you're looking at the account balance. You can't look at the account balance. You got to look at the chart. Chart will tell you when to rise. Look what we did on that channeling one. Did I say, oh, it rose $4, let's get out? I said, no, it hit that top purple line. Now we get out. Well, how much did I make on the trade? Don't care. It hit the top purple line. I get out. Well, what if I made a dollar or two dollars? That's right. What if you made it? That doesn't matter. You did the trade. Proper entry, intelligent exit according to plan. What students sometimes will try and do is they'll try to capture a bit more profit per trade by doing what's known as a covered call. Got the write-up on it here. So if you're going to use covered calls to exit rather than just dumping the stock, what you do is you sell the call option after the stock rises. You either sell this month or next month's call. Never sell beyond next month's expiration. Cover this again in a couple weeks. This month's call is June. Because today's June 1st. How about on Friday? Friday was May 20, whatever it was, 29th, May 30th, whatever the date was on Friday. Is the current month on that day still June or is it May? It's June. Because the member of the May options expire the third Friday. We'd already passed the third Friday, so 
on the Monday, this will get a little confusing for you. On the Monday following the third Friday of the month, the current month is the calendar month plus one. That'll really confuse you. Okay, It's the current option month is what we're looking for. So I sell the call option after the stock rises. I sell this month or next month's call. I sell the strike that would most likely give me a profit of 5% or greater. So what does that mean? It means you sell this strike that would most likely give you a profit of 5% or greater. Very simple. Well, how do I know which one that is? Practice. Sometimes it'll be one that is at the current stock price. Sometimes it'll be under the current stock price. If the stock falls to or near your strike price, buy back the call and dump the stock. The idea is to sell the stock. Generally, what you hope to have happen, what you expect to happen, you buy the stock, it rises. You sell, a, let's say you buy the stock at 100, it rises to 110. Now it's up at 110, you think, ah, that's probably about enough. Maybe I can make a little bit more. Maybe you sell a 95 call. 95, what does that mean? So 95 stocks at 110, that's $15 of value. So I got 15 bucks in my pocket, a little bit of time value, maybe 16 or 17. And I'm going to get taken out at 95. Wait a minute, that makes no sense, man. I bought the stock at 100. You're telling me to sell it at 95? Yes, I am. Why? You're already given the five bucks up front. You sell, I might lose all of you. This would be kind of fun. I'll wake you up. So you buy the stock for 100. It runs to 110. You sell a 95 call. You're given 15 bucks right away. You understand that there's value there of $15. You with me so far? So there's $15 that goes in my pocket in cash. Now the stock does its thing. It does whatever it's going to do. I get exercised. I have to sell my stock at 95. So I bought at 100, sold at 95. I lose five bucks. But I was already given 15, so that means 15, I give back five, so I make 10. Cool. And when I sell that option, I get a little bit of time value, so I'm really selling it for probably 16 or 17. You like this? Very cool. So I make really not 10 bucks, I probably make 11 to 12. And if the stock hit 110 and rolled over, and the most you ever could have made was 10, I actually made 11 or 12. That'll freak people out. Say, yeah, the stock had a $10 move. How'd you do? I made 12. You must be lying. I must be. <laughs> You're right. So that's the way you can do that. We'll cover that a little bit later as we go along as well. Dividends are no longer sexy. But remember, good point. His comment, dividends are no longer sexy. This is a stock I want to sell. I'm buying this to sell. Dividends I'm interested in in my long-term holdings. I don't want to sell those. If I capture dividend off the income account, awesome. But I'm not worried about it. Here's an example of one that I did a few years ago. Suncor Energy is the ticker, the, uh, sorry, is the stock, the ticker is SU. I've got two examples here to show you the numbers work. The first one on the left, we just did a buy stock and sell stock. Bought it on November 24th, 2008. Stock price was at, what's that, 18.34. For every thousand shares, it cost you $18,000, 18 and change. So if you had, let's say you had an account you wanted to make 100 grand a year on, you'd need ballpark 183,000 to buy 10,000 shares, okay? So 183 grand in that account would buy you 10,000 shares. Four days later, stock price rose, rose $3.10. Like, wow, that's a big jump, I know. So it rose $3.10. That thousand shares now sells for 21,400 bucks. If you had 10,000 shares, you sold it for 214,000. Understand the impact if you did that. You just made, what's that, $3.10 times 10,000 shares. You just had a $31,000 week with a $183,000 account. Understand the numbers. This is huge, right? Absolutely huge. On an $18,000 account, you just had a $3,000 week. That's still, the number's still the same. Percentage is still the same. But just understand the impact on this when you start thinking of salary equivalent. So your gain on this you down below there, you sold your stock for $21.44. You bought it at $18.34. You made $3.10 times 1,000 shares, $3,100. $3,100 divided by $18.34 is about 16% ROI. What was my goal for the month again? Three to five. Wow. So what if I don't see it? That was done in the month of November. What if I don't see a trade in December? No problem. What if I don't see a trade in January? No problem. What if I don't see a trade in February? Now I'm getting there. Depends if I'm looking for 3 to 
If you're looking for 5%, then I'm looking for, I'm like, oh, starting to get a little bit nervous. If I'm doing 3%, heck, I can go for five months. You see how I'm looking at this? So you're not going to see a trade every month. Now, what if you wanted to go for a little bit better ROI? You could buy the stock and then sell the covered call. So everything's still the same. We bought the stock at the same price. Four days later, we, where I would normally look to exit the stock, what I'm now going to do is sell a covered call at that point. I have a couple of choices. I'm going to go with the December call. So the December 20 call, what that means is if you sell that call, you're giving somebody the right to buy the stock from you at 20 bucks. Say, well, wait, why would I do that? The stock's at 21.44. Why would I let someone buy it from me at 20? Why not? Because they're giving you $2.60 to buy it at 20. Your takeout is really 22.60. You see that? And the value of the stock's only 21.44. So you're making an extra $1.16 by doing that. So you're making $1.16 in extra premium to do that. Oh, nice. Okay, I follow it. So one contract is 100 shares, 10 contracts is 1,000, so I'd have to do 10 of those. So I sell a quantity 10 of the December 20 calls. 260 gives me 2,600 bucks. Now what you do is you sit around, put your hands under your cheeks and sit and wait and watch. On the third Friday in December, you get exercised, which means the person that bought our option said, hey, I want the stock. They buy it from us. We get exercised at 20. So I sell my stock at 20 bucks. I bought it for 18.34. I sell it at 20. That means I made $1.66 times 1,000 shares. So that's 1,600 and change. And I made 260 earlier from the sale. $1.66 and 260 is whatever that is, four and a quarter, something like that. So 1,000 shares at four and a quarter is 4,200 bucks. A little bit more than that. 4,200 over my $18,000 initial investment is a 23% ROI. Wow, nice. But you think, well, man, why would you ever just sell the stock? Why would you just hang on for another month and go for 23 rather than 16 or 17? The answer is because you don't know what the future holds. You also don't know what your other opportunities were. You may have had another opportunity, a beautiful setup, that you wanted to have the cash available should that opportunity present itself to maybe jump in and maybe get another five, six, seven, sixteen percent? Don't know. So you'll know in about two months what the right answer was, whether you should have done one versus the other. But either one is fine. There's no way to know which. Again, two months from now, you go, oh yeah, I was smart, lucky that I chose to do choice A versus choice B. It doesn't matter. That's why you can't. You just look at this and say, I just want the chunk in the middle. You don't worry about it. Do not get greedy on this. Okay. Notice now, just, just a warning for you. When I ask now and they say questions, there's none. In two weeks, that ain't going to happen. I probably won't ask, and you guys will all be like this. <laughs> so just so I understand, questions will start to be flooding in. Covered calls on your long-term holdings. This is used to generate some ROI, some returns, if you will, on your long-term holdings. Concept is similar to a vacation rental. So let's say you own a ski condo up in Mammoth or up in Tahoe and we get a dump of snow. At that point, rents go up because all the skiers want to come in and ski. And they'll pay too much for rent to be able to take advantage of the fresh powder. All you're going to do now is rent your condo when the prices are inflated, when the prices are high. We're going to take the same concept with stock. When the stock price elevates or rises, we're going to look to sell calls against that and capitalize on that overinflated rental. Rules on this. Oh, one nice thing though too, in a rental, there are landlord-tenant laws that you have to abide by. Selling covered calls, you kick them out whenever you want. So if you don't want that person to own a call against your stock, you buy it back. You close it instantly. There are no landlord-tenant issues. Kick them out. You might have to pay to get them out, but you can get them out. Now, what you want to do with this, you got to get to know your long-term holdings well enough so that it makes an upside move you can spot where it's likely to stall or even pull back. Admittedly, there's an art to this. It takes a while to get your head around this. You're studying an individual stock as opposed to looking at 60 and finding the best one. There is an art to this. It takes a while. You're going to practice. You're going to sell calls to capture that pullback in price or to capture some time value when the stock's going sideways. If this makes no sense to you, that's okay. you got years to study this. Don't worry about it. 
You sell calls when the stock's about to fall or it's been stalling after a strong move. Do not sell them in front of a known event that could cause stock price to rise. Because, why not? Because these are long-term holdings you don't ever want to sell. You want to hold on to this forever. So you want to be very selective as to what, op- or what strike you sell and when. Typically, you sell this month's call option. Maybe occasionally you sell next month. You choose a strike where you're comfortable, you make a small profit and, highlight the word and, circle that, and not have it taken away from you because you don't want to sell your stock. You want to hold on to that forever. Because if you've owned it for a long time, now you get to pay a 20% capital gains rate. Let you ponder on that one for a while. So what you're going to do, you're going to sell the call option. If you're in a very strong bull, you sell it one to two strikes above the current stock price, basically out of the money. The goal on this is to squeeze small profits out of the movement in your long-term holdings. Remember, you've got a store of wealth there. It's just bouncing around a little bit. You're just trying to capture little bits and pieces, a quarter, 50 cents, a buck, two bucks, depending on how expensive the stock is and on how volatile it is. But just small little moves. You have to have enough shares such that the commissions and the bid-ask spread don't chew up all your profit. As an example, you got 100 shares of ABC stock. It's going to move a quarter. And you go and you sell an option, you make 25 bucks. Sounds pretty good until you realize that your broker fees are probably $22.50. You just made $2.50. Probably not worth doing on 100 shares. Typically, you want to see 300 shares or greater on most stocks. So you go with that. If you did 300 shares, you made a quarter, 75 bucks. Commissions cost you 20, 25 bucks, something like that. You net out about 50, give or take. You look at it and you say, 50 bucks? Why don't I want to waste my time? You're focused on the dollars. It's 50 cents against the price of that stock. Do that a bunch of times in a year. That's a small little dividend. Do that a bunch of times over the course of a few years. It starts to add up. All you're trying to do off this is to get the cost basis on those long-term holdings to zero. Think about it. You've, it's basically like having a rental property that you paid fully in cash. $100,000 condo, you rent it $1,000 a month. In 100 months, you paid for your condo. It's free. Do that again and again and again. What's cool, though, about the stock is with your condo, you can't build a second floor on it. But with the stock, you could start with 1,000 shares. You get enough money, now you have 1,100 shares. And then 1,200 shares. And now you're making a little bit more on that piece. And 1,300 and 1,400. It's a lot more fun than real estate. And you don't got to deal with tenants. It's very cool. So his question is, could I do some advanced stuff and sell a put? which I won't explain, but basically so that someone will, will force me to buy their stock if the stock drops lower. The answer is you could. But remember, when you're looking to sell the put, which I don't teach, you sell the put when you think the stock's going to rise. So if you're correct and you're getting pretty good at picking direction because you got 50 out of 51 or whatever your number was, if you know the stock's going to rise, when you sell a put, when you sell something, you're limited to making about this much can't see me in the audio. I got my fingers about two inches apart. So you get, you're going to make about two bucks. You're buying the stock because you expect it to run for 10. And you're saying, this is cool, easy money. Let me get two. But if I'd have bought the stock, I'd have made 10. The reason you don't want to sell it is because the only way you'll profit, and the most you can profit if the stock keeps going down is the two bucks. If the stock rises as you expected it to, you had the opportunity for 10, you just captured two. And remember, I want to own this stock forever. I'm buying it when it's rising. That's why. Do it this way. Keep to the simple stuff and then put the artistic stuff on later. Once you master the simple, the other stuff's easy. Okay? No problem. Next piece, marriage. I want you to get married to three stocks eventually. What do I mean by married? What you're looking for is you want to, ultimately, your long-term objective is to have the majority of your stock market wealth invested in a portfolio of long-term holdings spread out over about 12 names. It's going to take you decades to get there. It's going to take a while. Assuming you're starting with 2,500 bucks. Going to take a while. What you want to do is get very comfortable with maybe three of them in your long-term holdings to the point where you can tell, driving in your car down the freeway, you hear some news event. And they say, uh, Fed Reserve announced interest rates are going to rise. Or GE had this happen. Or IBM had that happen. Or something else happened there. And you just you turn to the person in the car beside you, you go, you know, IBM's going to drop 50 cents on that. How do you know that? Why? Well, I, I don't know. Just studied this stuff enough. I can tell. 
But how do you know? Just looked at it enough, you just get a feel for it. The easiest, the analogy on this is, I've never been in the car with you, have I? No, not her, you never, right? I know her enough, I know her name. I know her enough, she's female, so I know, and she's a person, I know I can say something that will piss her off, and I know I can say something that will not piss her off, make her happy. It's just human nature, right? Just common sense. What I don't know is, if she's an animal lover, I have no idea. But imagine we're in the car, and let's say I'm driving, and we're driving down the freeway, and there's a small dog, let's use a cat, because I don't like cats, so a small cat runs in front of us, and I, I didn't make a move for it, but man, it just happened to run right under my wheel. And now it's an ex-cat, right? It is a, now a dead cat. On, oh, it's, not, it's not a dead one. I injured it. Let's make it even better. And now we hear the cat yelping a little bit. I don't feel good about it, but I don't really like cats. And I ain't worried about it. I got some place to go. But now I don't know if you like cats or not. And I don't know you enough to know. We say, my God, you got hit the brakes. We got to go rescue the cat. Some people will say, you got to do that. It's just the right thing to do. Other people go, that's really, un- let's get going. We got to go. And it's not right or even if that's really wrong to do that, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. Some people will freak out about that, the fact that you hit the animal and left it there. Other people will say, that's really unfortunate. Cats shouldn't have been in the freeway. They should know better. I don't know you well enough to know how you'd react. How would you react? (laughs) That's a good answer. A dead cat. We'll talk about dead cats later on. But the point is, over time, If I spent enough time with her in the car or just in talking, I'd figure out how she would react when I hit a cat. And I'll be able to answer that. Next time we're driving down the road and hit a cat and the person in the backseat goes, oh man, what's she going to say? I already know because I've seen it before. I know how that stock reacts to that action. When I first bought the stock, I had no idea. When I first looked at the stock, I had no idea. I had to experience it. And now know how that stock is going to react to that news item. That's all it is. So what you're going to do is you're going to pick three stocks. You don't have to do this day one. Eventually you want to build to this. Pick three stocks that are in your long-term holdings. The instructions are up there on what you do. The objective is to understand how that cat, how the cat, how that <laughs> how the cat reacts to your tire, how that stock will react to the news. So that when that news event happens, you are very comfortable. Because remember, you've got effectively one-twelfth of your net worth tied up in that stock. You want to know how it's going to react so that you don't. What does it say to do up there? It says print out a five-minute chart every single day. So what news are you looking at? Then it says study that chart. If you see it had a significant move during the day, go find out what that news event was that caused that stock to move. You want to see this happen? Next time you see there's an FOMC news release, minutes release, go look at the S&P 500 at 11 a.m. in the morning, L.A. time, 2 p.m. Eastern. Watch how the market will jump when when Yellen announces that we're either going to raise rates or keep them the same or lower, whatever she's going to do. The stock market will jump. Now, pick one of your long-term holdings and look at what it did on a five-minute chart at that time. You will see it jump. Now you know what it does on that news event. Do that over the course of months and years, and you'll get very comfortable with what that stock is likely to do with that. All it is is it's building intimacy with a stock. It's going to take a while. You're not going to be a phenomenal at this after six months. It's going to take a few years, and you've got to see lots of different news events. You don't study this in detail. You just look, hey, there's movement. What was the news that caused the movement? If you can find it. If you can find it, great. If you can't, don't worry about it. It takes a while. Is it worth doing? You got one twelfth of your stock market net worth tied up. I think it's worth doing, but it seems worthwhile to me. Daily journal. Here's the next piece of your homework. So the first piece is the news homework. Second piece is your daily journal. If you want to do the marriage piece on the three stocks, you can start that now. I would only do that if you anticipate making a sizable chunk into your long-term holdings in the somewhat near future. Somewhat near future would say like October. But you're just starting out on paper now, so you can probably hold off on that marriage three stocks thing for about a year or so. Market journal. You're going to start with two journals. First one's a market journal. Go down to Staples or Office Depot 
one of those, buy an, a relatively expensive, don't buy the little paper journal that costs $3. Buy a fake leather bound or a leather bound one. Costs you about 20 bucks. Because you're going to keep this thing for probably 60 years. You want it to look nice on the bookshelf. And when you die, it's going to go to your kids or your grandkids if you teach them the stock market. You don't want to give them a piece of crap journal. Give them something that's a little bit of quality because you want it to last. What you're going to do is you're going to record your daily observation of what happened in the market. You got to be personal to you. You can, if you want to go find what somebody else writes, go to briefing.com and you can see what they write. Don't write what they write because that's not your journal. You're just copying their journal. When that person moves on to another job, then you won't know what to write. Write your journal. When you start off, you'll be clueless. You won't know what to write. Perfect. Totally what I expect. Over time, you'll get better at it. You're going to record how the market reacted to economic reports, to Fed activity, any, any major news items. Record what you think caused the market to move. Take a look at it and study it. Write it down. Say, I don't have a clue. Then write that down in your journal. I don't have a clue. After a few weeks of writing that, you'll start to work at it a little harder. It's embarrassing to write that for too long. Most days, you expect your journal to be very brief. A couple of sentences. Some days where the journal entry is about a half page or more, a couple of days a year you might see a page. And you'll know on those days because that's when the, when the stock market is a headline news, it's the day you're probably going to be writing a lot more in your market journal when you have the big movement days. What you're doing is your, your goal is to develop your understanding, a sense for the market. It's going to take time. You don't need to be right or wrong. You're just jotting stuff down. Record your personal thoughts. Be very patient. You're going to get better at time at this. What you want to think of is this. Met somebody, I don't know, about two years ago. I went to China. And on the trip, before we went, I was talking to the guy that was leading. There was about 30 of us that went. Big bus ride through Beijing and that, and out in the hinterlands. Talking to the guy leading, I said, what's the average age of people on here? I said, well, youngest is like 35, oldest is 92. But wow, so we got to push wheelchair. I mean, that was my first slide, like 92 wheelchairs. I'm like, oh man, okay. What's the average age? He goes, ah, 40, 50, something like that. Huh, it'd be interesting. So we're on the trip and talking with this, and I, I, I forgot about the 90-year-old. Didn't even think about it. On the trip, I'm talking with this lady and said something. I said, so what do you do when you work? And was, you know, obviously elderly. And she said, oh, I worked at McDonnell Douglas. So before it was McDonnell Douglas, it was Douglas over here in Long Beach. He said, and when I was there, I was, you know, whatever I did, and, I, and she was, and it was fascinating listeners. So I worked for, you know, Bob Jones, and Bob Jones didn't like me. He was a mean man, but he worked with Sam Smith. She could list all the names. Wow, interesting. And um, I said, so what did you do? He said, well, when the war started, we went, how was it? Oh, uh, some guy that she worked with, whatever his name was, got drafted and got called into the service. And so I went to take his job, and I was so upset at my boss because they wouldn't pay me what he was making. I was making like two-thirds of that, and I was furious. I went in and talked to him about it. And one of the people sitting with us said, so uh, Vietnam, so where did he go? She said, Vietnam was out of war. <laughs> this was the big one, WW2. Uh, oh, shit, this lady's a 91-year-old lady. And she was beating me up the Great Wall <laughs> as we were walking. And I realized this lady's got a, a trove of history in her brain. She could tell me how, what was going on in the world in 1945 because she was an adult. She knew what was going in, 19, in the 30s because she was in the Depression. Think about this. If she had written down stock market knowledge on that, I'd have paid for her journal. Think of what you can pass on to your kids. Because there's stuff now that's going to go on in the next three, six, nine months. Some big event will happen. I don't know what it'll be. You want to pass that info on to your kids. You want to capture what happened. History repeats. may not be the exact historical event, but history does repeat. People react the same way. Back in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, your ancestors or people that look like you. And if they don't look like you, they act like you because they're humans. They react to greed, fear, and, and stimuli just like you do. Their actions show up in the market just like your actions are going to show up in the market. It would be awesome to have that documented so you can go back and reference it because history repeats, humans act the same way. Fascinating lady to talk to. Fun to sit down and talk with her and pick her brain. What went on in the 20s? The, the 20s, she didn't remember. The 30s, the 40s, the 50s. 
And she's got a business mind. It's one thing if she was a homemaker, this lady was like a Rosie the Riveter, right? But in the office, that's awesome. It is so fun to sit and talk with somebody like that. If you know somebody like that, pick their brain, write it down, capture it. The challenge is they don't remember what happened on, you know, June 14th of 1948, because they didn't write it down. You have the ability to do that on June 2nd of 2014. Whether it's an active day or not, you've got that ability. Pass it on to your kids. You'll use that information later on. It is a phenomenal tool. That's your market journal. Next thing you want to do is write a personal journal. The thinking on this, imagine you got handed a journal written by your great-grandparents that had words of wisdom, advice, things that they learned along the way, that when they die, goes to the grave with them. Think about what you'd want to tell your kids. That's part of the reason I'm recording the class, is so my kid can hear this, right? Hear dad, not so I hear dad speaking, hear dad's wisdom that's there, right? Imagine if they'd written that stuff down, you could capture that. That's absolutely huge. Not only do you treasure reading it, there could be great value in there. You've got a ton of wisdom in your brain. You just got to write it down and capture it. Here's a way to do that in that personal journal. You don't have to do an entry every day. You just kind of read through it. It's pretty straightforward. But that's the idea behind it. Does that make sense? All right, research on this stuff. A couple of places online to find the resource. Briefing.com. Don't pay for it. There's a free level and a pay level. Don't pay. Stockcharts.com. In class two, I'm going to explain something known as indicators. Indicators are mathematical functions on price, volume, or time. I only use price and time. Don't worry about volume. Indicators are mathematical function on price. Could be the square root of two divided by, you know, the cube root of the price. Whatever it is, and they will chart that. Hear me loud and clear on this. I'm going to tell you how to read an indicator. Do not ask why. Do not ask, what does that indicator tell me? Indicators are very, very simple. I'm just going to say, look, when you see this, that's good. Say, why does it do that? That's why. Don't ask. Don't try and figure it out. Do not be an engineer at this. Engineers work many years. People in the stock market don't work that long. Hear me loud and clear. Don't be an engineer on this stuff. Don't try and figure out why. You'll never figure it out. Just go with the art of it. Get the feel for it. At some point, the engineer that exists in all of us will want to know why. What is the math behind this? When that compulsion is so overwhelming, you can't resist it anymore. Stockcharts.com will tell you what the math is. And then what you'll do is you'll read all that and it'll tell you, well, this indicator is the square root of that times this plus that and divided by three divided by the mother's maiden name into two or whatever the number, whatever the formula is. And you read that and go, that's fascinating. I didn't need to know that. I told you so. But the curiosity will kick up in some of us, in all of us at some point in time. That's where you find out the math on that. Don't waste your time now looking it up. It is not going to help you at all. Trust me, just go with it. Your broker's website has the options chain and your price quotes. Finance.yahoo.com has got historical quotes and a split calendar. We'll cover that in class three. Fulldisclosure.com and Zax.com has earnings research data. We'll cover that in class four. Split announcements are listed at investmenthouse.com. If you feel like so compelled you got to take some action, go to investmenthouse.com. There's a, a tab there that says free, uh, free split alert service. Sign up for it. Use a junk email address. Don't send it to your personal email because they may, they may send you some other crap that you don't want. You don't need to fill up your inbox. So send it to a junk email address. Charting software that I use, QCharts, recommended. Costs you about $175 a month. We'll cover in class two where you get it, how you get it. There's an alternative. I think it's gone away by now. If it's not, it is... You know, they put those little electric paddles on there to resuscitate it. I think it's almost dead. Is it gone? Still there? Still there? Okay. What you'll find, you use it? No? What you'll find, Strategy Desk is a tool from Ameritrade, TD Ameritrade. When I first saw it, I thought it was QCharts. I was excited because it was free. Because right now, and we were talking about this on the break, you realize if you want to make, pick a number, 10 grand a year doing the stock market, your costs, your fixed costs are about 200 bucks a month. You want to make 100 grand a year, your fixed costs are about $200 a month. You want to make 500 grand a year, your fixed costs are about $200 a month. What are my costs for trading? About $200 a month. Creates a hell of a tax problem. Had no expenses. Oh well. It'd be cool to have zero expenses if Strategy Desk would work well. 
Strategy desk works fine. The response time, let me use a quote here. I'm going to have to record this one. This will get me attention. Um, Y'all know who Buffett is? Y'all know who Munger is? Charlie Munger? Munger is Buffett's sidekick. Guy lives up in Pasadena. He's about 92 years old. Um, sharper than sharp. He's, just, he's funny. He's got an incredibly dry wit. He, I heard him say a quote years ago. I still laugh. I love it. And he, someone was asking, what do you think about ABC Company? He said, to call their financial shitty would be an insult to sewage. To call strategy desk response time shitty is an insult to sewage. It's horrible response time. But it's free. So if the $200 a month is an issue, there's, there's free. But you're not going to like it because the response time stinks. It's awful. But if the $200 a month is an issue, there's your solution. I would look at it this way. For $200 a month, you've got a business you can start. Suck it up. You're wasting $200 a month somewhere. Here's a list of the S&P 100 stocks. If you're looking for names saying, huh, I wonder what names I might look at for my long-term holdings. There's a list of names you could consider. Next page has the NASDAQ 100 list of names. I think those are all current. There might be one or two that have been acquired. I haven't looked at it in the last couple of months. I think we're okay. Next page is your business plan. Watch this. You're not going to make a dime. Okay, first year, your goal from paper trading. What's paper trading? So you can't make any money. So you got no revenue your first year. All right. What are your expenses in your first year? Class is fifteen hundred bucks if you continue. I gave you the reading list, so that's uh, what twenty books. However much that costs. I'm a frugal guy. I go get this stuff at the library. All those books are available at LA Library, with the exception, I think, of one, maybe two. Give them at the library. Read them. If you like them, go buy it for your shelf. I'm not worried about the dollars. My bookshelf is too full. To me, the price of the shelf space is worth more than the book. I want to be very selective in the number of books that I've got. The other thing, too, as you go through this, you're going to read a ton of stock market books going forward. There was a, um, I don't think I said it in the intro. I meant to say it then. I forgot to. I read something from Brian Tracy years ago. Did I talk about this? About the books? I don't think I did. Brian Tracy is a guy that writes about goal setting and personal development, personal growth. He's out of Solano Beach. He used to work for IBM years ago, and now he just he gets your email and he barrages you with buy my stuff. And one of the things he wrote in there was if you want to be an expert in a subject, find a subject area that you want to become very good at, very strong at. Read two books a month. Uh, that says over the course of the year, you read about 24, 25 books on a topic area. Do that for about five years. That says you've read north of 100 books in a subject. He said if you find anyone that's read 100 books on a topic, they're probably an expert, whatever that means. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting because I counted like 350 or whatever the number was on my shelf. And I don't think I'm an expert in the stock market. I know a lot about it, but there's so much I don't know. Thinking, wow, man, if somebody claims they're an expert after reading 100 books, I wouldn't trust them. Right? Based on what I know, and I've read a lot more than that. It just just makes you think. But in generally speaking, you find someone's read 100 books on a topic, they probably know what they're talking about. So just something to think about. In the bigger manual, there are, so hell, you got it there? I think there's two or 300 books. I can't remember at the back of it. You'll, you'll be pretty good at the stock market. You'll be able to impress people at backyard barbecues. So you're reading materials, either at the library or buy them. Like someone said, Amazon does them for half off. You can buy them at half.com sometimes too, if you want to save a couple of bucks. But I would say your shelf space is more crucial than the price of the book. At some point, you're going to buy a multi-monitor computer. You can use it off of a laptop. You saw me, I didn't set them up, but I've got, I'll set them up over the next few weeks. The multiple monitor system, monitors cost you about 80 bucks for little portable ones. Three of them is 240. You, need, you might need a hub. That's another 30 bucks. That's 270. And a backpack is 20. So for $300, you've got yourself a multiple monitor setup. Works fine. You can set it up in Starbucks. You'll get some weird looks. Then just talk to yourself. They'll leave you alone. If they ask, tell me you sell insurance. <laughs> tell me sell insurance. They'll walk away. Yeah, it's very cool. So your first year, nothing but expense. Year two, you're going to start doing real money trading. And by the way, your paper trading doesn't start today. This class ends, what, end of July? July 27 or something like that? Your paper trading starts that next Monday. So July, basically 1st of August. So you're not going to be doing a real money trade until minimum ballpark 1st of August of 15. You have plenty of time. It's going to go quick, just so you know. So now your second year of doing this, basically your first year of real money trading, Look at that. Your revenue goal is zero. I would love it if you came out and didn't make a dime. If you make money, that's cool. I got no problem with that. 
I just don't want that number to be negative. Because a lot of times people start an account and they blow it out. What does blow it out mean? That means they lose it all. And then you got to start all over again. So if you can come out of second year at a net zero, awesome. Most people quit before they get that far. Because this gets hard, gets frustrating. Or they break the rules. Don't quit. The rewards are way too great. It's very, very, very cool. But it's a bitch to do this stuff. You can't minimize that at all. It is not easy to do this. It's incredibly frustrating. But the rewards, you have no idea what's out there for you. You can't even begin to imagine it. So your second year, you're going to fund your trading account with how much? 2500 bucks. You got more reading materials. You got to get that multiple monitor system. And then your expenses going forward, just as before, I forgot to mention, our internet access, which you're probably already paying for today, and your charting software, ballpark 175 a month. Internet costs you, what, 50 bucks? Internet, 50 bucks, charting software, about 175. So for two and a quarter, you're running a business, that's your fixed cost. That's it. Make 10 grand a year, your expenses are 25 grand a year. Make 100 grand a year, your expenses are 2,500 grand a year. 2,500 bucks a year. Make half a million dollars, your expenses are $2,500 a year. Very straightforward. It's the only business I've ever seen where it scales and your costs do not increase. Think of any other business. If you're a doc and you want to double your revenue, double your income, you got to see double the patients or double your price. Or hire another doc, which says your costs go up and your headaches go up. This one, you just buy double the number of shares. Build your account balance, build the tolerance to press zero and press enter with another zero on it. You're good. Just takes time. It's the coolest business. There's your homework summary. You got your reading list. Get started on that now. Practice the news you do every day. You got your high-low homework. Take the time to do that. Don't just trust me and say, I believe they move enough. Go look it up yourself. Look at, look at your employer's stock. Look at their competitor's stock. Look at stocks that you'd want to own forever, kind of your long-term holding. You just heard the one guy say, you know, the worst one he saw move 7% in a month. Find those that are volatile. Look at, I don't know, think of names. Look at Google, Apple, Chipotle. Look at Priceline, look at IBM, look at, uh, find some oil stocks that move around a lot. Just look at them just to see, get you comfortable with it. Read through that options overview. You do not need to be an expert at options at this. You just got to understand the basics of a call and a put and those four factors in the option itself. The strike, the premium, the expiration date. Got to understand that. Then you want to work on, do the options homework piece. We'll cover that in class two. Look at your daily journal. Start writing that. And then if you're ready to, or when you're ready to look to do your long-term holdings, do the exercise where you marry three stocks and get to work on that. There's your homework. Pretty straightforward. Practice the news, that's a daily thing. Your high-low homework, that's a one and done. Options overview, you gotta read it a few times, but once you get it, you don't have to go back through it again. The options homework, that's a one and done. What else is up there? The daily journal, you're gonna do it every day. It's like brushing your teeth. Take a few minutes and do this. You can do your homework in about an hour, hour and a half a night. Every single day. Marry three stocks, takes about 15 minutes. Pretty straightforward. Next steps. What do you do from here? That's pretty good. I'm almost on time. Where you are in life today, no matter how you look at it, financial, physical, mental, spiritual, whatever, it's an accumulation of all of the decisions that you've made in your life up to this point in time, including walking in here to the room this morning. You didn't have to get up and drive. It was a beautiful sunny day. You missed a great day at the beach. You're missing the Kings game right now, right? You're making that choice. But where you are in life is an accumulation of all those decisions. So you have yourself to thank for that. If you like where you are, give yourself a pat on the back. If you don't like where you are, give yourself a pat on the back. It's your fault. Nobody else's fault, right? Most people bought in, at some point, bought into somebody else's plan. A parent, guidance counselor at school, spiritual advisor, somebody said, hey, go do this, and you followed them. All those decisions got you to this point. It is what it is. Nothing bad about it. It is what it is. My question to you, not about taking the class, just about you in general. If you like where you are and where you're going, keep doing the same thing. If you don't like it, you don't like where it's going, do something different. It's not about the class. It's about you. Do something different. Either get on the train or stay on the train you're on or get off the train and find one going in the direction you want it to go. It is as simple as that. Are there any questions?
Straightforward. Cool. What I did, if you remember, you got the, the disclosure thing, the two-pager. If you know you want to continue, um, there's a chair at the back. Just put, if you want to, too many of you to walk up here. Back where the guy, Stan, put your hand up for me. There's a chair in the back by the door. Just put these on the chair. If you want, if you sign it, I know you're coming to class. If you want to think about it, take it home with you. And then let me know by Friday if you want to attend. Just send me an email. Yeah, I'll be there. No, I won't. No problem. If I don't hear from you by Thursday, I'm going to send an email. As I said before, it's going to say real simply, you want me to order a manual or not? If you do, I'll order one. If you don't, I'm okay with that too. doesn't matter to me. And then what we'll do in the next two weeks, work on your homework, the stuff we had up there before. Two weeks from today at noon, I'll start up. We might be a little bit late. What happens, if you're going to sign up for the class, it makes it much, you notice I haven't cashed anybody's check. You're looking and go, man, I didn't even cash my check. I haven't done it. I, I don't know if I'll even do it this week. I'm not worried about it. If you're going to continue the class, just put a check in the If you buy your check, you can pay now if you want. Just put a check in the mail. You got the, you got the um, mailing address. Just drop it in there. I won't cash it till after the second class if you're worried about it. What, I, what it does is if you'll send in the check, it saves the headache of having to collect money at the front door as we do the sign-in process. Today there were about, I think, 80 people, something like that. In two weeks, I expect 110. So a lot more veterans are going to show up. It takes a while to sign everybody in. So anything you can do to expedite the sign-in process makes it easy. I'll hold on to your check. I, ain't, I don't care about that. But it makes it's one less step to have to worry about. Okay? Sound reasonable? Beyond that, thank you much. I'll be back in two weeks, same point. If you got questions, come see me. Otherwise, I'll see you in two weeks.